0: Hello, my name's Thomas. And I'm Gito. And you're listening to I Think Therefore I Google, an amateur philosophy podcast where each episode, Gito and I research a selected topic and discuss it. So tell me, Gito, what's, what's on the menu today?
1: What's on the menu? Music! Um, We were talking about things to bring up and we kind of went a bit wild we thought we wouldn't talk about old-timey greek philosophers um, but we thought it'd be interesting to look at the philosophy of music or or um, even what music is what it means to us Uh, at least i think that's kind of what we focused on Um, i know one of the reasons we picked this was because we wanted to see what directions each of us would go seems like we could go In separate ways and uh, it would be interesting just to talk about uh, music in general something that's important to to us to everyone and it's something that when you think about is is i think pretty weird
0: um yeah geez it was really hard to find any um any real um consensus within scientific and philosophical communities on music i mean you're asking what direction we're gonna go and Something tells me music isn't one direction if you catch my drift.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just gonna do you just have a list of like band puns like <laughs> written down, ready to uh, go? N-
0: no, but something tells me it's not gonna be the first, and now that's my challenge to get at least one more in that's 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 my plan.
1: Uh all right. Um see now I'm thinking too. What if we we're just gonna <laughs> sit in
0: silence and start
1: thinking of puns? <laughs>
0: Just go your own way. That's just one sign, whatever. Fine, continue. (laughs) Uh,
1: Classic start for us, though. I'm sure we were on Wikipedia. Uh, I was. I just like that even on Wikipedia, the first thing they said was, you know, there's a number of explanations, but many people say that it's too hard to really um, dumb it down to anything single because people often say music is organized sound. Uh, which was coined by a a composer named Edgar Varese. Ver, um, but then people have said that you know music doesn't even have to necessarily be sound. <laughs> um, I remember when I was what? in 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 music class, uh, music class. I said that was like a broad thing. I had a class in university that was like intro to classical music, and they they brought in up a-
0: university. weren't you like a Economics and poli sci. Yeah, but yeah, you know, they
1: give you some, they give you some leeway way to test out some new ground. What if I wanted to be a musician?
0: Intro uh. to classical music. <laughs> wow, you surprised me. All right, continue.
1: But they brought up this piece in that class called 433 4 minutes 33 seconds by John Cage, the composer John Cage. And this piece of music is basically three movements and they direct the performer to appear on stage indicate indicate by gesture when the piece begins and then make no sound throughout the piece <laughs> only making another like indication at the end of the piece and this was a piece of music that was performed publicly and it i mean it's caused much like criticism or or at least like debate about was this music but you know this was a composer who put this together put it on stage and i like that as being like a counterpoint to saying music is just organized sound
0: i hope there's someone in the world whose like favorite piece of music is that just as like <laughs> he's like it's just like it's so transcendental you know
1: he's just sitting it's there like tapping it's... his foot yeah <laughs> this thing
0: this is a bop oh boy Wow. interesting uh, I mean, well wow, i didn't hear about that that's that's pretty cool yeah
1: um even just like the the term music i think it has is kind of tough to talk about because i did read that some cultures don't have a general term for music or at least it gets it gets mixed up with other things it gets mixed up with music and poetry are kind of like the same word or a mix of words so i was reading that uh, the inuit don't have a general term for music um there's some Nigerian languages that don't have a general term for music, so it's even hard to define if you're going to mix it in with, with things like poetry or or dance or, or recitation, um, and other things like that. I think once you start drilling down, and uh, you start, people start chunking music down into pattern recognition, right? Repetitious pattern recognition, and that's kind of where, where things take an interesting turn. Unless I don't know if you had anything else about. More of like the bedrock formation of music as a term.
0: No, I mean I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean it really is just an organized set of sounds, or sometimes disorganized, like you said. But um, I think I think the definition I found just said that you know it's 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 organized sound that is meant to or or conveys some sense of emotion or expression within it but even then you know i'm i'm sure you could find examples where that doesn't particularly fully enter that definition so it is just such a difficult thing to grasp um i like that too
1: i like that because then that 433 piece that's an organized piece of sound that brings emotion because it's just a no sound that's organized and then the emotion is usually like what the hell is that <laughs> just like an I'm angry like- emotion <laughs>
0: You know, I feel like you, like no sound almost sounds a bit extreme. you know, it's it's like dividing something by zero. It's like you know I thought I, mean? I thought it
1: was like painting, like where people are like, rather than painting a piece, I'm gonna paint the negative space. And then this composer was like, "What if I do music, but no music?
0: I'm just batching, you know, all these like people with like artists with like a canvas, and they're they're painting wonderful paintings and stuff. and then some avant-garde modern guy walks in sticks a blank canvas on the on the uh on the wall and says it's modern art baby and then he gets a million dollars
1: you're joking you're saying that like it's a joke but i'm pretty sure i've seen that as a piece somewhere it's like a blank canvas and it's called like creativity or some garbage but love it love uh, it we should love just it. do a whole podcast where we walk around a modern art museum and just like make fun of
0: it okay legit i wouldn't mind a topic like Modern Night, that's a whole other thing that I love and hate at the same time. But we're, we're, we digress. We digress. Fine. Um, what do you want to say next?
1: I got. Uh, I saw a really cool little clip um, by this guy named Derek Thompson. He wrote okay. a book called Hitmakers about how, pe- how things get popular. Um, but he said, I mean, I'm going to be like quoting parts of what he was saying in this little video. You can find it on YouTube under Big Think, Derek Thompson. Mm-hmm. But he said, if you start repeating anything, if you start repeating anything, if you start repeating anything, like he was saying, this is like you, you <laughs> anything can be a music. Like if you start repeating it, he was saying, repetition is the god particle of music. Was his his point? Um, but he brought up this cool study because he said you need repetition, but you also need variety, and uh, he pulled up this study by a guy named David Huron, um, and it was a study with mice. And what he did is he had a mouse, and he would, like, habituate a mouse to a a B note. He would play the B note, and the mouse would turn its head, like, surprised, like, what is that? And he would keep repeating it, and the mouse would turn its head whenever it got, heard a B note, and it scared it. But then after a while, the mouse would get bored. So he found out that uh, what he could do to keep, I mean, this sounds kind of bad, to keep scaring the mouse, (laughs) was to, right before the mouse was going to get bored, he would play a C note, so then it was a different note, but the mouse was getting um, scared again. And it turns out that if you want to scare a mouse for the most amount of time, there's a specific pattern of notes that you can play. And it's B, B, C, B, C, D. Now, it doesn't have to be those specific notes, but that's the pattern. B, B, C, B, C, D. And he he said that that's basically the framework for most modern music, where it's verse, verse, chorus verse chorus bridge and what that does is it kind of brings a formulaic relationship between repetition and variety where like you're hearing the same thing and it's kind of catchy and then right before it's too boring the new thing comes in but then it brings in the old thing again because you kind of know it and then before you get used to it again it comes after the new thing so it he had this interesting way of talking about how musical um arrangement is is so heavily focused on mixing repetition and variety so that you're constantly surprising your brain but then treating it with enough like dopamine to be like i recognize this but this is new it's a really cool study but uh i thought i brought up
0: um no that kind of reminds me of um there's uh, one of the things that i came across was a uh I mean, I first heard of, it, heard of it from a YouTube video because actually I feel like 80% of my research this time was like through YouTube videos. But there was a, there was a PBS Idea channel and they have a video called Is Sad Music Actually Sad? And they mentioned this one kind of um, analytical paper called Emotional Responses to Music, The Need to Consider Underlying Mechanism. Um, by some a pair of researchers called Patrick N. Gislin and Daniel Vastfjall. Um, and in it, they kind of, they propose that there's six components that form um, music or kind of what form what make, um, like m- underlie the emotional responses we um, have to music. And one of them, is actually musical expectation, which is when music either denies or confirms your expectations of what's gonna come next Uh, musically, which like based off what you've heard before musically or kind of natural patterns in in life, you know, that kind of helps provide some of the um, emotion that you get when you listen to music. So exactly what you mentioned in terms of those patterns, um, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, yada, 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 or even within melodies, you know, um, naturally, you know, you, you might hear something like a simple major scale or something, but if, if it keeps going, then it might sound satisfying. But if you, if you change one note, it might sound like a minor or kind of sad melody, you know, so that's just one of six components that they've proposed, which I guess I might as well go through them. um, Of which two of them, I still don't really understand the difference between, but maybe you'll you'll help me out. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go on. So another thing is they mentioned kind of brainstem reflexes in terms of just how the body naturally responds to sound. So, you know, naturally any sudden sounds or especially loud sounds might distill fear or even, or softer sounds, quieter sounds might, might, you know, naturally our, our body might be used to being calmed by them or, or feeling like they might be sad. And that's just something that, you know, we're used to based off, you know, if you're sitting in nature and listening to the sound of beautiful running water from a stream, then you, know, you might be calmed by it. But at the same time, an explosion is just so sudden it'll shock you. Um, so that's one part of it. And the other one's kind of interesting where they mention evaluative conditioning. And this is something kind of controversial when I was reading through, um, when I was reading through proposed ways that we develop our emotional responses to music. And evaluative conditioning in this sense basically just means, I mean, I basically understood it as Pavlovian conditioning pretty much. That, you know, growing up you've listened to happy songs. You've learned that these songs sound happy and naturally we've developed an instinct to, um, hear, well, not instinct, but we've developed a sense that happy songs just sound happy, you know? Yeah. And that part of the reason we feel that way is because we've been culture has kind of trained us to feel that way, which by the way, I'm going to get to later in an interesting note, but I want to get through these first. Um, then they go on to mention something Im- called emotional contagion. which This is the part that I didn't completely understand where they said that, um, here, I'll bring up the paper again because I couldn't really completely get it. Where was it? Um, so this refers to a process whereby an emotion is induced by a piece of music because the listener perceives the emotional expression of the music and then mimics this expression internally, which... I mean, I kind of just understood that you perceive the emotional expression of the music and then you mimic it. Yeah, which weird,
1: it kind of sounds like the other ones too, right? Well, they say,
0: which by means of either peripheral feedback from muscles or more direct activation of the relevant emotional representations in the brain leads to an induction of the same emotion. So do they mean that maybe the brain might physically invoke that kind of emotion i don't know that was the one part yeah, I and mean, it kind of
1: kind of sounds like that it's just again like i feel like that sounds like isn't that how our brains work anyway like wouldn't, wouldn't it work for the happy one too <laughs> or, yeah, that's, that's what your that's brain what is doing all right uh, that, we're that's that's not smart we enough but, okay <laughs> I,
0: got, I got two more all right one which i'm kind of like okay but one that i'll totally agree with so they, they, they also mentioned something called visual imagery where some mm-hmm. you know oftentimes with songs or music you will you'll, you'll visualize something, you know, especially if you close your eyes. So um, you know, I close my eyes when I'm listening to Vivaldi's Spring and honestly, it does feel like freaking spring. I listen to that piece and I feel like I'm
1: <laughs> It's so funny I had skipping I had skipping that through one the forest. <laughs>
0: And, and and birds are flying around me i feel like snow white or any disney princess there's one. Like, there's
1: one part of it that sounds like a little stream running like it just sounds like a stream of water. i
0: can't even know which part you're talking about um and then the last one which i totally feel and experience all the time is episodic memory mm-hmm. which is pretty much where in in the past you know if 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 any song kind of reminds you of a specific memory then it naturally you'll experience feelings of that associate with that memory when you hear that song. You know what I mean? So I, I get a I've been listening to music through, you know, ever since I was still in elementary school. That's when I started. And there's still songs that like I listen to and I'm like, "Oh, bro, this takes me back to grade 8." Just like oh, Billy Talent just takes me back nostalgia, you know? Or like, they also uh, in some videos I found they they pointed out that's kind of interesting that because of that, you sometimes can get a happy song reminding you of a sad memory or something. You know, oh, here's that song that my ex and I always listen to and you know, it's a really happy song but it makes me feel sad now because of, you know, all the experiences I have tied with it now. So, I don't know, it was a, a bit of an interesting article. I feel like like paper, I feel like some of it's a bit. Don't completely feel like you know they're it's a bit a bit filler, but but some of those points I definitely do agree with and sound, quite, reasonable, um, yeah.
1: Yeah, I got into a rabbit hole a little bit about specifically like minor key and why songs sound sad, and it sounds like all of the points they were listing was like an amalgamation of what I was reading because it it sounded like there's always been a debate between whether you hear a song in the minor key and it sounds sad because there's something inherent about the minor key that's sad or kind of like what you were listing there, so much of it is is just inherent to either our culture, like whether our culture has always had sad songs in the minor key and all other cultures haven't or even if, if you were just raised hear it, feeling specific emotions around you from other people when they hear sad songs and then you take that in. So there's a big debate about that in terms of the minor key, especially. Um, and I mean, the one thing I was struggling to figure out when I was researching the music stuff was how much of this stuff is just... Because if, if if a lot of it is just cultural and inherent to like how we were raised, then... I feel like it kind of makes music less special. <laughs> like I I like the idea that like someone had figured out something sad in music that they bring out and it's not that we put like a sadness on it. It's like, oh, it's almost like discovering something. You know when we were talking about like discovering ideas and whether you figure something out or if it's just always been there. I I like the idea that like a sad piece of music is just something someone had like discovered and then brought to people. Um I, I was reading a bit about like pe- platonic absolutes of music, you know, whether <laughs> whether there is like Ooh, musical absolutes. Throwbacks, throwbacks. <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, love yeah. it. Love it. Yeah. Well, even um cuz I had a section on just like tied to philosophers and, and there's debate back in the 19th century about absolute music versus program music. Uh and a lot of people in the 19th century were talking argued that instrumental music doesn't convey emotions or images they claimed that music isn't about anything and then there was a big group of philosophers and even guys like Nietzsche who were completely opposed to this they said that absolute music that's not what it's like it's program music where you could convey emotions and images like we were talking about with the four seasons where it's like this sounds like a bird chirping or like this makes you feel like you're you know out in in a in a park somewhere they talked about um, uh, Nietzsche was a big fan of, of Wagner, um, who was a composer and uh, he wrote operas, and, and he was very much trying to convey emotion with his pieces of music to the point where Nietzsche uh, actually ended up... Uh, I never knew this until I read that. He he was an amateur composer himself, too, because he found... You know, you're always thinking Nietzsche as someone who's, like, angry and mean <laughs> and hates life, but, he, again, he was, like he saw the beauty in what music is. And 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 again, I feel like if
0: it's... if It's, cult- it's funny because exactly what you said, I was like, oh, Nishi's going to hate music. And then you're like, oh, okay. Well, well, <laughs> oh, look at this surprised. guy. <laughs> it's not all doom and gloom, you know.
1: Yeah, apparently he wrote a lot of commentaries like applauding Wagner's music and and had some pieces himself. If we ever do a Nietzsche thing, we should listen to his music. Um... So when I got down the rabbit hole of minor, the minor key, like, you know, like, do you think you think it sounds sad, right? Songs in the minor key versus the ma- major key.
0: Yeah, of course it's.
1: <laughs> of course, you idiot. So that's, that's, that's like <laughs> you dummy.
0: I teach you that in like the first month of uh. Okay, at least I was in high school music musical class, but you know I, I was never in uh you know a university classical intro to classical music. So I'm I'm talking to the real expert. Here,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you could play a guitar, and I could play like four chords so you're the expert today Uh, so so I found this debate in the middle again some people would say that the minor key is sad because it's it's just what we were raised with and other cultures don't have the minor key as a sad key but whenever I would dig deeper I couldn't find any examples of cultures that don't use the minor key in in terms of sad music Um, I did find an interesting note that people were saying during the medieval and the renaissance era like the the sadness and happiness was, was generally more signified by flats in the key signature were associated with soft or mellow and sharps were like associated with agitated and angry up until Bach helped introduce the major and minor scale to listeners as we know it today was what people said, which I found that a bit more interesting. But what I liked more is a description of, of the minor key being sad. Um, was the idea of just, like, um, interference in frequencies. And and I don't know enough music theory to know about this, but someone pointed me to this lecture by Leonard Bernstein in 1972. It's like a a series of five-hour lectures. (laughs) But there's (laughs) It's called The Unanswered Question, but it's very much about just, like, music theory. And he was talking about how we hear... um, like a phonological disturbance when we're playing a major key versus a minor key uh there's there's like actually just a disturbance in how we hear it that it actually sounds less complete uh, and whatever subjective feelings we get from that is is more of like incompleteness and not being satisfied which is kind of what i i i feel like that's makes more sense in my mind you know
0: all right um yeah in terms of uh that kind of Like, why does music sound good or whatever? I feel like that where you're kind of getting at between major and minor keys was kind of similar to... um, There was a video I watched called... Where was it? It's by a channel called Seeker on YouTube, and they have a video called Is There a Formula to Good Music? And in it, they kind of mention how to make good... You know, because if you take three or more musical notes and put them together and and they're all the right pitch that sync up well, then you make a chord, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the basis of any semi-complex song, pretty much, at least, you know, make up most things. Um, But all these notes in a chord have to be the right pitch so that all, to to make it sound good. And the theory is that... um, all these waves like the way that they sync up is that the sound waves end up repeating like the repeating waves between these three different notes match up really nicely and they sound quite pleasant to the ear yeah. versus if you were to you know slightly change one of those notes one or more of those notes um then the waves don't match up as much and it's kind of confusing and irritating to the ear um and and I mean, the term that they use in this video is that, you know, consonants for repeating waves that match up nicely and then dissonance for ones that don't match up nicely.
1: Yeah. Like and, that That kind of lines up. Yeah. With what I yeah, was thinking.
0: And, and they mentioned this uh, paper that a researcher led, uh, a team of researchers led by someone named Josh McDermott did called Indifference to Dissonance in Native Amazonians Reveals Cultural Variation in Music Perception. I Damn it damn it you got, <laughs> you got me Yo, know, i I gotta say these uh i always love reading the title of any paper because it like like leave it to any research paper to make the title just sound like they just write the sentence you know what i mean it's like <laughs> they make it sound so boring or dry it's like think of creative titles for me i want to live in a world where research papers are like named creatively it's you know like, what i mean
1: pow music in the andes <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like if you like named, like I don't know, I don't know, it would be a very straightforward movie to name. <sighs> Whatever. Um,
1: like if Speed was called The Bus That Couldn't Stop?
0: <laughs> no, if Speed was called Bus Can't Stop Because of Bomb, Keanu Saves the Day. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, Whatever. Anyways, um, this paper, um, it, basically what they did was they showed... They, they played consonant and dissonant sounds to populations in the U S and Bolivia. They like multiple populations, urban, rural. They tried to try different um, groups. And within those populations, universally, everyone agreed that the consonant sounds sounded good. And the dissonant sounds sounded unpleasant. You know, they, they didn't like, they weren't as pleasant. And then they managed to uh, get in touch. They managed to, also made contact with an Amazonian tribe named the Tsimane. Um, I hope... I didn't really read much into it. I hope it wasn't one of those ones that, like, had absolutely zero contact with the world and, you know, are still kind of saved. But I, I think this tribe was one that, like, had very minimal contact with the Western world. And when they played these two... these various types of sounds to them, um, the Tsimane people were found not to have a preference to either, which... Would imply that, therefore, what we at least at least our our sensation of pitch, you know what, like in terms of how we form chords and stuff, that might actually be a learned skill or kind of something that has been developed into us. But I, I, I wonder, the, like, what
1: what, is the... what if I I wonder I'd like to learn more about them because what if either they have like what if they have a different ear structure or. Or like, what if they're just dumb? Like, what if they just don't understand? But because I've always I, thought, I wonder if like the, I thought like musical theory in terms of like the wavelengths and like you were saying, where like they match up. I almost like I almost thought it was like a like a, it's like math where we discovered it, right?
0: Yeah, or maybe we just kept playing it and and it and, <laughs> yeah or we 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 learned to like it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> It's like how I used to not like sushi and then I kept trying it. Now I know I like it. I don't know. Poor metaphor. <laughs> um, Moneybags money like Thomas paper, over and, here. And I heard like, and I've heard, other. I, I watched other videos with anecdotal evidence that would deny the thesis pr- pr- proposed in this paper. So it's hard. It's hard to really, you know, at the end of the day, out of all the things I watched and read and whatever in the past few days, the long story to make a long story short, I mean, people still don't know for sure. We're all just guessing. But I just found that one specifically quite interesting. And it also ties in slightly into another term that I heard about called amusia.
1: Alright. Which
0: is a basically the you know, it's a musical disorder. Anyone who's um Anyone who's kind of, you know, may, you may have heard of the term tone deaf. Yep. But, or or maybe sometimes people might have some issues with, with rhythm. It's basically, it's a very general term for anyone who's not musically gifted or anything. It, you don't have to be gifted, but.
1: It sounds to me like it's like anybody.
0: <laughs> well, no. And and then I found this like um, striking. Okay. It wasn't that striking, but I, I found a number saying that 4% of the population have, um, fine a fine-grained pitch disorder so four percent of the population probably doesn't really notice a difference between consonant and dissonant sounds and to them music just sounds like noise but not like the organized noise that makes emotion but just kind of like you know turn turn that racket down bro
1: yeah that would be, that'd oh. be pretty horrible
0: i know right
1: because i'm not like I'm, um, I'm, i can't say like i'm a super I'm not one of these people who needs like music on all the time, but the idea that like good music would sound just like grating noise to you is, is kind of sad.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: That paper though, with where they were saying, um, you know, here's how you make. I guess they were talking about how to make a, a good song. Yeah like i wonder if if you have like a formulaic way i'm sure they do this these days but like pop songs where like can you just have an ai make like a catchy pop song i'm sure that's possible these days right like you just know you need x amount of hooks x amount of like moving your emotions this way moving your emotions that way i'm sure you can just have like some computer make some boring pop song that everybody would love
0: well, there are a lot of striking similarities between, you know, a lot of the top 40 hits. You know what I mean? Like, there's that whole shtick people. I don't think it's as popular as it nowadays, but I remember a good 10 years ago when I was still going to camp. Um, There'd always be, every year there'd be that one guy who's like, yo, so if you play these four chords, it actually, you know, you'd actually <laughs> sing
1: like Every song, 20
0: different popular songs and they'll they'll sing it and i'm like yeah okay yeah heard it last year pal you're not original yeah but the first time the first time was pretty 20 fun. not original songs and proving that they're not original <laughs> <laughs> no it was kind of cool i kind of like a good mashup medley who am i who, who am I to judge i actually kind of liked it <laughs> uh
1: well in that way i um i like this quote because part of the idea of music too is that it like when we like it it's kind of like a little drug right like it releases dopamine for whatever reason absolutely if, yeah. if you like if, if you and and some of the more poppy stuff can really just be there to just like make you feel good for a second which i guess is not a bad thing steve pinker um he's a, a famous author he wrote how the mind works he called music uh, auditory cheesecake I'll have me some good cheesecake. <laughs> yeah. And it apparently stirred up a lot of debate and people were like, you piece of shit. Like, <laughs> what are you saying? But it's kind of true when it's just like, I just want to put on something to like make me feel good. Um, yeah.
0: Cause I, I, I saw that. I saw that. Uh, I saw that um, term as well. And the way that I understood it was, I, I thought the way he describes it is, you know, the, you know, us as humans, we've evolved to hear things and, and that kind of helps us from a survival point of view. But then the, the music aspect is just kind of an additional benefit that's not really necessary to survival, but it's, it's nice. It's kind of like cheesecake, you know, right? That, yeah. That's what he meant Actually, by You it, feel
1: right? that in way better than I would have. Oh. I was just angry about it. But, yeah, no, that makes way more sense. It's true. Although I'm sure people like would debate. So it. I'm sure there's people out there who would be like, no, like, I need I need it to survive. I need music. Um, well, yeah, because
0: I think I think Pinker also is the one who said, I'm paraphrasing, but something along the lines of like so, someone said this where you know music's something that if if it just completely disappeared from the face of the earth and like humans completely forgot about it, like life would still go on, and it wouldn't be like i mean it'd be different, but it wouldn't be like dramatically different like if if we all suddenly forgot how to speak language speak words with proper grammar like i just did right now (laughs) or or you know if technology went back a 100 years or something like that i I don't know like
1: i like that though that's one of those comments where i I hear him saying it and i agree with it but if i hear him say it i'm also like you know you're just gonna get people mad when you say this right
0: (laughs) i mean you're you're right there's got to be people on this i'm sure there's people on this planet who are like if music didn't exist, I'd kill myself, you know? <laughs> sure, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. But I'm sure there's people... I've talked to people who would... When we talk about, like, which if, which senses would you rather lose? Like, I, I'd be like, yeah, I don't mind losing my hearing. And other people are like, no way.
0: What? Are you kidding me? I mean...
1: Come on, versus, like, uh, your eyes?
0: Okay, let's be honest here. Smell. Really? <laughs> give up hearing? Who would... Smell 100% all cut, the way.
1: Cut to a picture of, like, a nose sadly walking away somewhere. <laughs> Fuck you guys.
0: I mean, like, come on. Shut let's up. Let's be honest. Because taste, I love food. Eyesight, necessary. Touch, love it.
1: Futurama reference. Uh, I would be happy to lose my smission to anybody out there.
0: <sighs> I don't remember that one. Sorry, I failed you.
1: Bender is like, I'd be happy to lose any of my six senses, even smision. good word good word um love it your little talk though about your little talk i'm such a jerk uh, about like making a good pop song or like making a formula of a song um made me think about i watched the documentary the grateful dead documentary called long strange trip Uh, you deadhead (laughs) but it's cool because i to be honest have always hated blues and jazz and part of it is because i've just i think it's like a the office quote from dwight where he's like just play the right notes like the whole point of jazz is just like it's supposed to be zany and out there and like we're playing not the note you're expecting but i I guess like the more i've watched tried to get into the dead (laughs) i've started to appreciate maybe jazz a little bit more, or at least the way they do it, where I guess they're trying to toy with the ideas of repetition more or to- toy with the ideas of doing what's unexpected.
0: Yeah. But what was yeah.
1: interesting about their form of music is that rather than, like, sitting down and writing A, B, B, A, C, B, A, and, like, you know, here's a, here's the chorus, here's the thing, like, they got, when they were young, <laughs> they were all from, like, different styles of music, and they got super high On acid in parties where not just them but also like the rest of the they did these like um, acid tests where the whole everyone in the auditorium would be high and they would be high and they would kind of vibe off of each other and they would just feel like what everyone's emotion was doing and they would all just kind of drive this music they would improvise around like what people were feeling and what they were giving out from the crowd so their whole like style of music is very fluid and like not rigid which yeah. kind of puts me in a different like it, it. I don't. I feel like that's a completely different area than like a theory of music, where it's like here are the right chords to play. I don't even know how you become good enough to play music where you're like we're just going to improvise around like where we think the set is going, and yet it's still going to sound melodic. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it just seems like so much crazier than when you break down music into here's what good chords sound like it's a really interesting documentary although it's like nine hours long
0: (laughs) yeah i mean yeah i i i think improvisational music in particular so you know like you said you 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 bluegrass your your jazz your things like that um it's quite interesting kind of like what you you were getting that. There's a there's a good bit in La La Land where uh, Ryan Gosling's character, who's a jazz musician, is trying to explain to um, Emma Stone. Yep. Anyways, he's he's just they're in the jazz club and he's trying to like explain why it's so amazing. He's like, "There's like a story here. Look, this guy's like bringing in his little bit and like showing off like this bit, and then this guy's creating, and everyone's just kind of mixing and matching, and it's beautiful." And and that is kind of. That's that's the reason why, like, I really don't care about jazz music when it's recorded and I'm listening to it, like, in earphones or anything. I'm just kind of like, whatever. But, like, live jazz music, I really don't mind watching just for the performance and seeing these people cr- create it. You know what I mean? Maybe I should do that um, more.
1: I've never really been out to see good live jazz, maybe once or twice, but I mean, I can't, probably it will be more yeah, fun live. Well,
0: right? Once in a while, I, I like to do it. Um Magda, my girlfriend's always surprised, but um she's like, Really? You wanna go to the you never want to go. I'm like, Once in a while, babe. Once in a while, all right. I'm feeling it now. Oh god, I'm gonna get a message next week from her being like, Oh, you we're going to a jazz club next week. <laughs> Anyways. Um, she listens? <laughs> <laughs> but um there's actually a really good TEDx talk I watched by a um a neuroscientist who who's also a musician named Alan Harvey. And it's called Your Brain on Music. And he's got like it's actually like if there's out of all these videos that I've I watched, I think if if there's any one you should watch, I feel like this one's like this one was like the coolest one. But he touches so many like cool things, but one of the things he touches on actually is um improvisational music and how specifically with improvisational music um, there's studies that show that there's a higher level of oxytocin that's released within people when they're performing improvisational music because it, oh,
1: like you are know, connecting, it, with you're, each connecting
0: other. you're forming bonds. It's, it's a real form of like back and forth kind of not even back and forth. It's, it's, it's a form of like together communication. Cause he, he goes to say about how, you know, oxytocin is normally, you know, uh, a hormone that's released in, in bonding and, and social bonding. And when you feel close to people and how, you know, in conversations it, it's, it's a bit of a back and forth, you know, one person talks, the other person listens, but like when you're improvising music together, it's, it's, it's both people talking at the same time to make one beautiful dialogue, uh, not dialogue, but, you know, line of organized sound that makes emotion and expression.
1: Yeah. Which I, I have no idea how anyone makes on the fly. Does he show examples? I probably listen to that talk. That sounds cool.
0: Um, does he show examples of of what?
1: Like little clips of people improvising or anything like that?
0: No, but it's actually kind of cool. He's got like a, he actually has a few members from the Perth Orchestra because mm-hmm. he's Australian, might. Um, <laughs> and uh, so and and they play. They, they do they do a little bit of cool things with that. They also have like someone with like a an. Uh, an EEG, so a electroencephalogram, so um, something that measures brain waves, and they they do a live demonstration of of how his brain waves change depending on what music's playing. Yeah. So it was really cool. Really cool. Uh, it's less than twenty minutes long. Totally will recommend it to anyone interested in this stuff.
1: I'll check um, it out.
0: But yeah, he goes kind of goes a bit more into like the neuroscience of it all, but he he makes a really lot of like good points um basically i th- i think the main thing he really tries to hammer down is how and, and and i've i've heard this i've heard this echoed within some of the some of my other research that you know a lot of people think that music's basically just a form of universal communication and it really it it's it, it plays an important role in social bonding and and kind of things like that um there's even some people who theorize that one of the first languages, or maybe even the first language, was some kind of musical thing. You know, some, some apes together humming along or tapping some rocks. I don't know. I can't imagine what it would be like, but <laughs> we're all just guessing. We're all spitballing. Nothing's, nothing's certain here.
1: <laughs> some apes just tap dancing across <laughs> the uh, jungle.
0: Picturing, like, caveman doing the worm breakdancing. Trying to woo like the cave woman. Time Actually, to... it, yeah, something interesting that I noticed within when when they say it's important for social bonding and sexual selection. Let's be honest here. At least in uh, okay now in modern modern times, you want to get a date or or find a, a you know a match, then you just go on your fucking phone, easy. But twenty years ago, Jito, you you know where where would you go if you're finding some. Ladies or or men, you know. How
1: old uh, am I? Twenty years ago. Well, actually, yeah, that doesn't make sense, huh? Boom, where'd you go? uh I didn't. The was a big nerd, but yeah, you're right. Club. There was a bit more of like a sexual selection based on rhythm, which is probably why I was single for a long time. Um, what's <laughs> what's that like? musica You were talking about that term.
0: A musia. It almost sounds is like there, amusement. Like, a,
1: is there like an a dancia?
0: Uh, I'm sure there's probably something like that. It's uh, just called I'm
1: being sure. a loser, <laughs> <laughs> aka f- me. F- Find that, uh,
0: yeah, e- e- the, thats your picture in that, and yeah. beside that word in the dictionary,
1: yeah. right? <laughs> uh, but it's funny because I, I did read about how you know dance is basically—I mean, I didn't get too deep into this—but in the same way that we talk about rhythm and um, repetition, but also surprise. Um, there's a lot, apparently there's a lot fewer studies about what dancing is, the hedonics of movement, and in what context you're using repetition, rhythm, and, and elements of surprise to create fluid motion, you know, with your body. So there's there's a lot of overlap there for sure. I thought when you said, what did you do back in the day to, to find women, I thought it was going to be a question about like the 1800s. And I was like, yeah, I'd, like write a sonnet. Like that's what it used <laughs> to be like, wasn't it? Poetry? <laughs>
0: Probably. Huh? <laughs> Another note, just uh, just as a small addendum to Amusia, um, apparently, you know, there's um, some languages uh, are considered tonal, which would mean that they have a there's a slight kind of musical element to them, where the same syllable but intonated differently. or or with a different tone can, you know, be considered a completely different syllable. Um, Things like a a lot of the uh, Southeast Asian languages, so like Mandarin and Thai, and and some of the Scandinavian languages as well. Um, And it was just, I was reading about how people who have struggle with differentiating pitch actually can have more difficult, like have a more difficult time understanding these languages because of that and at the same time and this is what i find very interesting amusia so you know people being uh tone deaf or or, or having trouble differentiated pitch occurs less frequently within populations that speak these tonal languages oh. which only further implies that that is a learned skill weird i know but
1: that is, is interesting
0: so if you, want your, uh, if you want your son or, or, or daughter to be the next uh, maestro, you got to f- pop those headphones on while, while they're still in the belly. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how sad to that probably means anything, but you know what I mean. Get them going early. Music on the belly. You force them to play that piano early on. <laughs> I don't want to play anymore. Do it. You need to
1: learn like the other kids. Um, I had a, a little bit of his, historical trivia about uh, our, our old friend Plato which is kind of off topic if you don't mind a non sequitur but apparently he I
0: love a good non sequitur
1: <laughs> when it comes to Plato he believed that music ha- had an influence on the soul but he believed that it was purely dichotomous like there was only good there's either good music or bad music uh, that's actually what he thought, and he said like sharing bad music was horrible for the civilization. And apparently, his main anger was was pointed towards this double flute called an oelos. If you see pictures of people back in the day, like it's it's like a flute, but it looks like the letter Y. Um, but apparently, he hated this instrument. <laughs> in the Republic, he wrote it as like he characterized bad people as someone who. Yields day by day to desires at hand, drinks heavily while listening to the flute. Like, that was his, like, biggest (laughs) thing. Apparently, because, like, the way it was structured was it was kind of less harmonious than certain other instruments and necessitated more um, improvisation in how it was used. But, yeah, apparently Plato, he was like, there's good music and bad music, and never play this damn Oilos flute or else you're a horrible person. Interesting.
0: Interesting. Oh, Plato. Never ceased to surprise me. <laughs> That's kind of all I had. The only other thing I really wanted to mention was how, um, at least personally to me, because the first thing that I thought of before I even read anything was just how how uh, I always found it interesting how contextual music can be, because mm-hmm. I quite like a very large, wide variety of of, of musical styles and genres. But I still kinda accept that, you know, certain songs aren't appropriate in certain situations, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and sometimes I find that only by being exposed to those situations would I learn to appreciate um certain music. You know what I mean?
1: Like so, so like what kind of music?
0: You don't really like country until you go somewhere super rurally where there's like actual cowboys and stuff and you're like, Wow, this I get it. I get it now. You know what I mean? Or my favorite example that you'll totally relate to. I never really liked. I never thought I quite liked a mix of like metal and grindy techno until I played Doom twenty sixteen. And like now, if I listen I mean, to like Doom soundtrack, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm like in the gym trying to get shredded. Well, and and I'm listening to that. I'm just like picturing. Well, it's demons. funny that you can. It's Funny late. that you can. <laughs>
1: that you can take it then like you can originally get into it because of the the context. Like you wouldn't have liked it originally, but then you do because of what you did while playing, but then you can take it out of that context now and be like, okay, when I need something a bit more angry and like energetic, like you're then using it. So it's almost like you've learned to enjoy it. You've taken it well, it's out like of a,
0: where you had it's it. It's like that term. It goes back to those um, mechanisms to, Developing emotional responses to music that that paper mentioned earlier. So I guess that's kind of showing off kind of evaluative conditioning and episodic memory and applying that. You know, so
1: it made me, actually um, it did it made me think um, that guy I talked about way back at the start of the podcast, David Huron, who did those mice experiments. I ended up reading his paper, which is also written. The title is like you would say it's just like completely boring. A psychological approach to musical form, the habitation fluency theory of repetition, um, aka how to make bops. And he had one thing that made me think of was he he wrote down these different types of strategies of repetition for different types of music. And there was the variation strategy, the rondo strat- like we were talking about before, where it's like B B, and then you spike it with C, and then back to B. But one I'm that spike he talked to
0: see what kind of. <laughs>
1: rape drug is that (laughs) Jesus vitamin C orange juice Um, but one he talked about was trance strategy where he's like instead of trying to um, surprise somebody out of a repetition you're just like really overloading the repetition so trance strategy in terms of like what you would see at like a, a deep house like rave kind of thing where high levels of repetition that fully exploit The pleasure inducing potential of processing fluency so the whole point here was that he said the other types of music where you're kind of using these patterns they can create emotion but trance strategy where you're just using repetition to invoke what you already have, he said it's more focused on the internal world whereas the other songs are are more focused on the external and that the trance strategy is, is dependent on like the listener disposition so it's more like you really go in inward and i could probably see how that would be it makes me understand why you could enjoy being at a at a, at a rave where the music is just like the same thing over and over but it's more it is highly it, repetitive it's yeah. more of a trance kind of going deep inwards within yourself kind of thing
0: i mean that that's literally the the name of a style of music just just like that some raves will have trance edm you know oh
1: oh yeah you know
0: it oh yeah oh yeah trance just
1: DJ David Huron, PhD. He's dropping that habitu- habituation fluency riff. No, tough crap. PhDJ right, in the name. house? PhDJ?
0: <laughs> Damn, now I gotta get a PhD and become a DJ just so I could have that name. I'm sure it's probably already taken by now. I'm gonna look, we gotta look up it at. up. <laughs> okay, wait, really, really quick, really quick, really quick. Uh, Show
1: I'm me a PhDJ.
0: PhD, if I type the PhDJ podcast has made my DJs Joe Bun, and there's no mention of actually having a PhD, so that's kind of. Uh, I smell a
1: wait. I smell a podcast collab. <laughs> hey, we, we talked about you guys on our podcast.
0: <laughs> oh, I know. Never mind. Never mind. PhD and DJ, educator and student. All right. So, um, Gito, uh, I know I'm in Europe right now, but is this the final countdown? (laughs) Well, I I thought of that halfway through the thing. I was like, yes, I got my, I like that.
1: Uh, I like that we agreed on a lot of the topics that we talked about today. I think we're pretty much in sync.
0: Oh, oh, don't, uh,
1: go don't go don't breaking my stop. heart
0: <laughs> don't don't stop believing pal please don't stop the music
1: <laughs> i liked listening to you talk about our past um you know the tough streets we were raised in we were young back then but you know we're we're backstreet boys
0: <laughs> all right all right I'm I'm, I'm 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 stopping this madness all right this is, <laughs> this is... <laughs> Oh, we're not going to have the second hour of this episode just being like back and forth musical. Puns. You really love your Fine. cinnamon,
1: and you do wear frilly dresses. You're quite a spice girl. I don't know. I got nothing. Let's get out of here.
0: Okay, that that's not even that doesn't even make sense in the conversation anymore. You know what I mean? At least the other one kind of felt. Now you're just ruining it. Now you're just Fine. Um, great. And on that note, well, on that note. Well end. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>